Welcome to Medical Education Trends podcast series. Here we'll have discussions and interviews about hot topics in medical education. I'm your host, Mehrdad Haravi, an Iranian medical doctor and a health professions education enthusiast. In this episode, I'm hosting Professor Mark Huntington. Professor Huntington is a graduate of Michigan State University College of Human Medicine with doctorates in medicine and microbiology. He completed his family medicine residency and diploma in international health at the University of Cincinnati. He is professor of family medicine at the University of South Dakota Sanford School of Medicine and directs the family medicine residencies at the Center for Family Medicine. Professor Huntington also has served on the advisor board of the American Academy of Family Physicians Center for Global Health Initiatives. Professor Huntington, thanks for joining us today. Uh, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much, Professor Huntington. Uh, actually, uh, we're glad to have you in our show, in our second episode of Medical Education Trends podcast series. Actually, the idea of inviting you to our show has came up to my mind uh, from the 22nd Iranian Conference on Health Professions Education, where you had a very interesting presentation about family medicine. And we decided to have this interesting discussion with you about the various aspects of family medicine. So uh, if you are okay with that, we can start the conversation. And uh, the first question actually is that, uh, why do we still need family medicine in 21st century, despite having specialities or even subspecialities? Okay, sure. And I think that's a very... um a very relevant question. Um, what what is the importance of uh, of the generalist and specifically uh, family physician in in the era of specialized medicine? And uh, there there are a number of reasons why I think family medicine is becoming more important rather than less important uh, in this uh, current era. Uh, I think one of the uh, the predominant reasons for this is that uh, as our medical specialties become increasingly focused and narrow, um, it's valuable to have somebody uh, who can help uh, identify the undifferentiated uh, complaint that a patient will come with. Our subspecialists are extremely valuable once the problem is identified and uh, we have uh, a clear idea of what it, what exactly is going on. But unfortunately, patients don't come with that diagnosis. They come with uh, vague symptoms, undifferentiated complaints. And I think the value of our generalist is to help sort out things, um, to, uh, to kind of stereotype and, uh, in a way, almost caricaturize it. Uh, a patient comes in with chest pain. Is it cardiac? Is it pulmonary? Is it GI? Is it muscular? Is it psychiatric? Um, the uh, uh, so sometimes one one could uh, draw a caricature of uh, the cardiologist evaluating them, saying it's not your heart, you're fine. They go on to the pulmonologist, well, it's not your lungs, you're fine. The gastroenterologist, it's not your stomach, you're fine. It's important to have somebody who can have a broad perspective, evaluate the various. Uh, potential etiologies, and then make appropriate referrals when appro- when needed uh, to the subspecialist who really is the uh, the expert in that narrow area. Um, 
And uh, especially uh, nowadays, uh, in, in my country, in the United States, a lot of patients will self-refer to the subspecialists. They will get on the internet and Google their symptoms and then uh, come in and tell a doctor what they have. Um, and uh, I don't know what your experience has been with such things, but uh, certainly our experience is that rarely are these self-referrals accurate. Uh, when they Google their symptoms, rarely do they have the correct diagnosis. So it's important to have somebody who is trained in treating the undifferentiated patient and helping identify where the problem lies and then when appropriate, getting additional assistance. A second reason why I think family medicine is important is that uh, family medicine is specifically trained to treat the patient's illness and to address it in the context of the patient. Uh, that includes the context of their family, of their community, uh, of their personal values, and of their economic situation. Um, certainly, uh, sometimes the best medicine on the, uh, the guidelines, the best treatment in the algorithm um, makes biological sense but doesn't for the patient. It may not be affordable for them. And uh, we, we need to negotiate with the patient and help identify, okay, we may not be able to get the best treatment for you, but what, what is acceptable within what you can afford or within what your personal values or priorities are. Um, the importance in family medicine is to treat the patient, not the disease. Our focus is on the social determinants of health and the societal determinants of health, not just the biology of disease. And I, I think that's something that uh, family medicine brings to the table in a, in a big way. Uh, and then finally, um, it, it has a lot to do with access to care. Um, although our world is becoming increasingly, increasingly urbanized, uh, there are large rural stretches in the world, and sparsely populated rural areas cannot support subspecialists. Uh, there, there may not be adequate numbers of patients, for, for example, for there to be a cardiologist or, frankly, even a gynecologist to keep them busy all time, uh, full time. And so it's important that there be some uh, well-trained generalists who are able to take care of the, the majority of the needs of this, uh, these rural populations so that they have a doctor locally they can go to get their care from and when it's appropriate, uh, know when it's worth the effort and expense to travel to the urban center to get a higher level of care. Um, you know, there, I, I live in a very rural state and there are stretches of hundreds of miles with very few people in them. Those people also deserve good care, but there, there's no way we could have all the specialists available there. We need a solid generalist to provide that care and then connect them when the, when the need arises. Well, thank you very much. Actually, uh, you've uh, mentioned a very interesting point about the undifferentiated uh, complaints. Uh, which really highlights the uh, value of core competencies of family physicians. And uh, what are actually the core competencies of family physicians? Sure, sure. So uh, core competencies of, of family physicians um, in primary care and, and family medicine, there are, there are four characteristics first, and then I'll, I'll talk about the competencies necessarily to, necessary to fulfill those characteristics. Uh, the first characteristic is that uh, family physicians are connected with their patients. Uh, they are the first point of contact. The majority of the patients will come to their, the family physician with whatever ails them and are the first point of contact the entry point into the healthcare system. Um, sometimes a term is used uh, that they are the gatekeepers. Um, and, and in a way, I think that's a, 
a faulty analogy. They are not, uh, if I can use the example of, a, say, a symphony orchestra hall, they are not the doorman deciding who gets in or who doesn't get in. Rather, they are the, or the uh, conductor of the orchestra identifying which section of the medical healthcare uh, orchestra needs to come in and play for that particular patient at the time. Uh, after connectedness, the, the next, uh, the, the next uh, characteristic is continuity. Uh, family physicians provide longitudinal care for patients. Uh, the, the ideal family doctor provides care for the person throughout their lifespan uh, until either the, the patient expires or the physician ultimately retires. Um, they, they provide care of varying age groups. They get to know the patient, know their family, know their context, and provide that care. Um, family physicians, the, the fourth uh, characteristic is comprehensive care. Uh, family docs provide full spectrum of care. They are not limited uh, by age, by disease state, uh, by the sex of the individual. They provide a wide range of care, including both cognitive uh, care, uh, making those intellectual decisions of diagnosis and treatment, but also procedural skills. They need to be good with their hands as well. And then finally, uh, coordinated care is the fourth characteristic of family medicine. Um, they are able to coordinate the care of their patients uh, with the health system, uh, other specialists, and also with the community resources. Uh, though we talked about the social determinants of health. Sometimes there are things outside of medicine that the patient needs, and a good family doctor will have the insight and ability to help connect the patients with those resources that they, they may need. Now, in order to develop these four characteristics of connectedness, continuity, comprehensive care, and coordinated care, um, there are several core competencies that the World Organization of Family Physicians has specifically uh, identified. Um, and I'll, I'll list them and then just make a couple of comments on each of them. The first is values, then communication skills, assessment, management, collaboration referral, and reflective practice. Now, what they mean by each of these, uh, starting out with values, is that uh, family physicians' uh, an absolute requirement in terms of competency is high ethical and moral principles. Uh, family docs need to be patient-centered, uh, focusing not on what they like, but on what does a patient want, the patient's priority, what is best for the patient, um, not as not necessarily what is best for the physician or for the healthcare system, but what is best for the patient. We are really to be advocates. Uh, we are uh, to be non-discriminatory. Um, take all patients, no matter what what their uh, their social status is, no what no matter what their economic status is, no matter what their ethnic background is. Uh, family doctors need to have those values to provide good care to everybody, um, and that's probably the most important thing. Now, I would argue that that's something that should apply to all specialties, not just family medicine, but certainly family medicine, it's very relevant. Then communication skills is another important thing. The family docs need to be able to communicate uh, with their patients in a clear way, um, not use medical jargon, but actually speak the language of the people um, appropriate for their educational level, for their background and so forth, to be able to explain and talk to the patient uh, about what their needs are, what the plan is, what the diagnosis is and so forth. They also need to have good communications, not only with the patient, but with their family. Again, the patient doesn't exist in, in isolation. They're part of a family 
family in a community. Um, and family physicians need to be able to communicate well with other members of the healthcare team, whether it is nurses, whether it is community health workers, whether it is subspecialists. We need to really help facilitate communication uh, to advance the, uh, the care of the patient. Um, the third uh, core competency is an ability to perform assessment. Family doctors need excellent reasoning skills. They have to have a solid knowledge base and then good reasoning skills to sort through uh, what it is that's going on with the patient. The patient will come in with undifferentiated symptoms and it's important that we be able to uh, develop a thorough differential diagnosis and then be able to narrow it down to come up with an accurate final diagnosis. The fourth core competency is the ability to manage the patient's care. And again, this requires our broad knowledge base. Family doctors need to keep up with the literature. Um, they need to know where to find the answers. You know, uh, back uh, when I first trained, uh, the mark of a good doctor was somebody who could remember a lot. Well, with medicine changing so quickly and progressing so well, it doesn't matter what you can remember. What matters is can you unlearn what you learned before that has changed? And can you quickly find what, is a, what the current care is? Um, and so that's really an important thing. Um, one of my colleagues had made the, the uh, comment. He, he was a, a subspecialist. He said, the best doctor in the world is the rural family doctor who keeps up with the literature. He said, the worst doctor in the world is the rural family doctor who doesn't keep up with the literature. And I think that's a pretty good summary of it. We, we really need to, to know what's going on. Um, and in addition, uh, family doctors need good hands, good manual dexterity to be able to perform procedural skills uh, that, that uh, may, may come up. Um, and uh, that, that's, a, that's a pretty important part of it, not just cognitive care, but the ability to perform necessary procedures, uh, minor surgery and, and that sort of thing. Uh, the, uh, uh, the next uh, core competency is ability to collaborate and refer to be involved with teamwork in the patient's care. Uh, do we have good relationships with our subspecialty colleagues? We don't want to get into a, a, a turf battle with them over taking care of the patient. We're all interested in what's best for the patient. We need to facilitate care, refer when appropriate, but not refer things that will just be a, a nuisance to them. We, we really need to uh, uh, do a good job of uh, uh, collaborating with the rest of the healthcare team and appropriately referring, not too soon and not too late. Um, and some of that will take a little bit of political savvy to do that, uh, depending on the personalities involved. And then the final thing is a reflective practice. It is important that family doctors recognize their personal limits. Don't do more than you ought to. And they also need to be very capable of self-directed learning. Again, to keep up with the literature, you've got to... Uh, you've got to be self-directed. Based on the patients that you see, be reading. Uh, based on uh, self-assessments, recognize where your gaps are and be a self-directed learner. Well, thank you very much, Professor. Um, actually, uh, in this episode, we, we want to talk about actually uh, training the 21st century family physicians. And you've mentioned a very, uh, actually great points about characteristics and uh, the skills that family physicians need. Um, what do you think are uh, the emerging needs of family physicians in 21st century? Uh, yes. Well, one of the uh, emerging needs is that we need more of them. Uh, we need more family physicians. Um, in, uh, in the U.S., for example, it is estimated that the proportion of total physicians 
who should be family doctors to have a well-balanced and optimally functioning healthcare system would be 40% of, of the physicians. Currently, we're at 30%, and that proportion is dropping. Fewer doctors are going into family medicine. Um, and uh, th this matters because a higher proportion of family physicians uh, correlates with uh, higher quality of care, lower costs, and lower mortality in the population. So we need more. Um, but in recruiting these doctors, we need to attract the best and the brightest. Uh, it's a broad field that requires uh, substantial knowledge and reasoning skills. And, and unfortunately, sometimes it's viewed as a default uh, role for those doctors who are least qualified. So we need more and we need better uh, people going into family medicine. As part of the training, they need solid training. Um, you know, there are some places where the family physicians are getting minimal training. They're, they're really not getting adequate training to equip them to fill their role to its full potential. Um, the training needs to include uh, not only clinical skills and procedural skills, as we talked about earlier, but also things like population health. Uh, we really need to uh, learn tech, uh, information technology. I, I mentioned earlier, it's not what's in your head, but what you can find that matters. And there are great point of care reference uh, software applications uh, that I use with my residents on, on rounds. We'll, I'll ask them a question, and if they just guess, they're probably going to be in trouble. But if they can quickly look it up on their point of care reference, they're going to have the most up-to-date uh, current treatments. Um, knowing how to do literature searching, to delve deeper into specific uh, clinical questions, being able to uh, function using uh, telemedicine, video conferencing, um, audio conferencing, those sorts of things, caring for patients who may be physically remote from you, as well as those that are in the room with you. Um, and this sort of training needs to take place not only in their primary residency training, but also as part of their ongoing continuing professional development throughout their career. Um, and uh, then another thing that I, I think is important uh, to help family medicine um, is, uh, is some recognition. Nobody goes into family medicine because of the prestige. Um, in, in no country is that the case, to my knowledge. Um, that being said, I, I think some recognition of the value of family medicine is important. Um, recognizing its value to the nation, uh, to the community, and to the individual's health is an important thing. All too often, uh, it's viewed as, a, as an undesirable career path, um, as the ugly stepchild to the other specialists uh, that are, are more glamorous. Um, and I, I really think policymakers and medical education, the medical education system need to acknowledge the value of family medicine and to promote it and other primary care specialties. Until that happens, uh, family medicine will continue to struggle. Well, thank you again for your comprehensive, actually, um, uh, presentation. Um, referring to your speech, um, uh, actually bringing the best and the brightest people for family medicine and actually having a better education for uh, family physicians is somehow the role of the leaders in this actual field. So how can family medicine leaders adapt with the future needs of 21st century family physicians? Uh, yes. So, um, uh, there are a number of important roles and functions for, for leaders in medicine in general, but specifically leaders of family medicine. In places where family medicine is well established as a specialty, it is really important that the leaders remain flexible. <clears throat> this is a real strength of family medicine. Um, the uh, uh, family medicine 
can be flexible. It can vary depending on, on the setting um, in which the, uh, the individual physician is practicing. Sometimes when a discipline is well, is well established, the leaders get a little bit um, ossified in their current position and they will, they will say, well, that, that's not the way we've always done it. Those words are horrible to hear in family medicine. They need to be flexible, willing to consider new ideas, new strategies, new methods of delivery of care, uh, new technologies. Um, and the uh, family medicine leaders need to be open to these new technologies and new processes. They need to be early adopters. We need to be proactive, not reactive to changes in medicine. As medicine changes, family doctors need to be at the cutting edge of that, not merely reacting to it, but actually involved in leading the changes. Um, that being said, they also need to be cautious that they don't fall into fads. They want to make sure that the changes that they are pursuing and that they are leading are, are cutting edge, but not some temporary fad that will, will pass. They, they need to be aware of what, what the changes, not just what happens to be a slight breeze blowing from a little different direction. Um, I think it's uh, important that uh, family medicine leaders continue to stress their comprehensive role of family doctors, uh, the comprehensivist role. Um, it's so important that they not abandon their patients to the various subspecialists, but really help coordinate the care among different specialists as part of the team. And uh, family medicine leaders uh, really need to be a voice for the value of family medicine. They need to be advocates. As, as leaders, they're recognized. Uh, they need to be advocates, whether it's at the university or in the ministries of health, uh, departments of health, um, uh, whether it's in the, the media. They really need to be outspoken advocates for family medicine and its value. Thank you. Um, I want to actually refer to your speech um, about the part that you've mentioned being flexible for leaders of uh, family uh, family medicine, actually. So uh, being flexible means uh, actually not resisting against uh, change and reforms in the curricula. And uh, what kind of reforms needs to be implemented in family medicine curricula? Yeah. So that, that is a, a difficult question because a lot of it, um, family medicine will look different in different communities. And so what may be a positive change in one community could be a negative change in another. And the key is uh, the reforms that are being made, you, I, I don't think we can have something that applies everywhere. I think it, it needs to be tailor-made. For, for example, there's a movement in the U.S. currently to limit the amount of inpatient procedural and maternity training that residents get. Um, and th this is driven mainly by uh, urban programs on the east and west coast of our country. And I, I think this uh, effort is a bit misguided, frankly. If we limit the training across the nation in family medicine, uh, we do a disservice, especially to rural underserved areas where their family doctors need to be able to provide some inpatient care, some obstetrical care, procedural care, and so forth. Um, so I, I think restricting family medicine is, um, would, would be ill-advised. Um, and uh, I have many colleagues who disagree with me on that, but that's okay. They could be wrong. Um, or I could be. Um, 
Having said that, uh, family medicine programs must be tailored to their local populations. Uh, while some experience in all areas of medicine is absolutely essential, uh, extra emphasis is also needed for the needs of that particular community that the training program is preparing their doctors for. Uh, for example, a well-trained family doctor in my state, my rural state of South Dakota, will look different than the ideal family doctor trained to practice in New York City, a very urban area in my country. Um, but it's not just rural urban differences. Um, South Dakota family doctors who are well-trained will look quite different, I think, than one trained for rural Zambia or for urban Paris or uh, Tehran. I, I think um, family medicine, uh, it has tremendous potential and it needs to be flexible. So a foundation laid across the board, but then the different emphases can really be tailored to what that population needs. Um, it's been uh, said, I, I wish this uh, terminology was my own idea. It's not, um, but uh, I, I really like it that uh, um, family medicine physicians are the pluripotent stem cell doctors who, given a broad base of training, can differentiate into what their individual communities need and adapt over the course of their careers their local populations needs change. So that, that's what we want in family medicine training is pluripotent stem cell doctors. Give them a solid foundation, but then the various emphases can change. One area that I, I do think, uh, no matter what the family medicine program looks like, uh, that we, we need to continue to reform is scholarly activities. Um, historically, family medicine largely viewed themselves as users of medical knowledge, not generators of new medical knowledge. And I think that has to change. Um, one of the reasons is that uh, we're starting to find as family physicians are getting more involved in scholarly activity and research, we're finding um, that there are things that were wrong from previous studies. Most research is done in tertiary care medical centers. Those patients are very different than those out in the general population. They've been referred into these major medical centers and generally are more complex, have more unique situations and don't represent the general population. And so with the advent of things such as practice-based research networks, uh, primary care physicians and family doctors are being able to make meaningful contributions to the understanding and knowledge of disease and its treatment that is more relevant to the real world than uh, some of the findings that are coming out of the, uh, the elite uh, urban uh, academic medical centers that apply only to those select patients that make it there, not to the rest of the population. So family docs need to not just be users of uh, medical knowledge, but generators of it as well. Well, uh, you mentioned a very interesting point about uh, tailoring family medicine to local populations. But uh, to do this, actually, uh, uh, local populations have very different and various uh, challenges. So what will be the challenges of establishing family medicine programs in, in current century in different, actually, settings and different countries? So there... There are a variety of challenges, um, and uh, I, I could talk for hours on this, um, so I, I will try and refrain myself to uh, just three to, to emphasize. Um, uh, one, I, I think, quite frankly, and, you know, as family physicians, um, we, we don't like to talk about money much, but uh, 
I think a big part of the challenge will be financial. So in countries like my own, these training programs, while they're good for health and they ultimately save society substantial amounts of money, they don't generate much direct revenue for the hospitals that sponsor these training programs. In contrast to, for example, orthopedic surgery, where the residents during their first month of training generate enough revenue that pays their entire salary for their whole residency. Um, hospitals are sometimes reluctant to subsidize primary care programs uh, by viewing them as an expense rather than an investment. Now, I'm very fortunate where I'm at is that our the hospital systems in, in my area recognize the value of primary care, of family medicine, and they, they are very supportive of us, um, and they, they view us as an investment that will pay off later down the road, but not everywhere is like that. So the solution to this challenge, I think, is to ensure that we have big picture thinkers among the decision makers. People are not looking just what's the bottom line a year from now, what were the cost versus the uh, revenue, but look at the benefit to society, the benefit to the health system, um, and look down the road, not just one year, not just five years, but throughout the career of the doctors that they're training. Um, Another challenge, um, not so much here in the U.S., but in, in talking with colleagues in, in other, uh, other countries, sometimes where family medicine is introduced as a new specialty, uh, there's, this, there's some opposition from the local um, general practitioners, those who are not residency trained in family medicine but are practicing uh, as generalists. They view this new specialty as competition that is going to be a problem for them economically and going to push them out of a job. Um, this seems to be especially true when uh, uh, when family medicine is introduced into the system in a top-down manner rather than a grassroots bottom-up approach. Um, in my country, uh, family medicine was developed as a grassroots bottom-up approach. The GP said, wait a minute. To do what we're doing, we really need to get better training, and they really drove the development of a residency-trained specialty. Um, and so that, that can be a real challenge. The, the family docs and the general practitioners, the non-residency-trained general practitioners, are trying to provide very similar care. And rather than viewing it as competition, they really ought to see it as, as a collaboration. Um, and in doing this, uh, the solution would be to, to engage the generalists so they understand this isn't competition, rather it's elevating the status of their own discipline as generalists. Um, and, and perhaps if they're, in my own country, they developed a, uh, as family medicine was being introduced, they developed a pathway by which practicing general practitioners could become board certified without having to complete a full residency. Uh, they call it a grandfather clause. They, they grandfathered them into the specialty um, if they were, were well-trained and took the examination and stuff. So um, I think that's really important is to engage the existing generalists as part of the development of the specialty. Um, and then, uh, uh, Again, I've, I've mentioned this before, but this this is a, a recurring problem in a variety of different uh, different places, different cultures, different locations, and that is respect. If family medicine is viewed as inferior to other specialties, it's difficult to recruit students into that specialty. Um, 
And that, that is a huge challenge in expanding the specialty of family medicine and developing new training programs. You build the training program, and if nobody comes, you've wasted the time and the effort. Um, the solution is to accurately promote what the specialty can be and what it should be uh, when it reaches its uh, its its uh, fulfillment. And uh, ideally, this uh, needs to begin within the medical education system. Instead of, uh, I, I actually, when I was heading into family medicine, uh, one of the deans at my medical school pulled me aside. He said, Mark, you're going to family medicine. He said, I don't think you're going to be happy there. You're too smart for family medicine. Well, he was wrong. Um, and I'm glad he didn't uh, persuade me. But sometimes that's the perspective is that, well, if, you, if you're smart, you're going to go into some other more glamorous, higher paid specialty. Uh, we really need to get the message out that to do family medicine right, we need the best, we need the brightest. And um, to have a system that is supportive of those who choose to go into family medicine, rather than trying to uh, to uh, denigrate them and say, oh, you, you're not going to be happy there, you're too bright for this. Family medicine, well, its full potential requires people who are forward thinking, energetic, and uh, committed. So uh, that would that would be another uh, uh, another of the uh, key things. So the the challenges um, uh, certainly financial prestige, and then then we want to make sure that the existing generalists don't view it as as competition. Uh, thank you very much, Professor. Actually, we are nearing the end of our show. But uh, I really enjoyed your great uh, and inspiring presentation about family medicine and various aspects of family medicine. Uh, but if you, I, I want to summarize your presentation, I actually remembered two part of it. Parts of it, actually, the first part was the sentence that you've mentioned that the best doctor in the world is a rural family physician who actually keeps himself actually up to date. And the next one was uh, actually the similarities of the family physicians to actually uh, the stem cells. I don't remember the rest of it, but and that was really interesting. And thank you very much for for actually joining us today in our show. I hope we have another opportunity to have you in our show. It was our honor to have you uh, here today. So if you have any last words to our audience, um, we are more than welcome to hear. Well, again, thank you very much for uh uh, for the opportunity to, to speak with you and with your, your audience. And uh, I, I'm very encouraged that uh, early on in your, uh, in your podcast series that you recognize the value of family medicine and invited uh, a speaker on the topic of family medicine for your, your second uh, broadcast. So that's, that's very, uh, very encouraging to me uh, about the, the future of, uh, of medicine going forward. So again, Thank you uh, for the opportunity. Congratulations on, uh, on what you're doing there. So thank you.